Well, it seems like a strange Old Testament to lead until we get to the final verse, right? And one of the things we learn is how important is this relationship between children and their parents encapsulated in the fifth commandment, which Paul teaches us here in Ephesians chapter 6. So our New Testament lesson can be found on page 979. And we will read the first four verses of chapter 6. The outline in our bulletin is very simple. Children must obey the Lord. So children, this sermon is our Heavenly Father, through His apostles, speaking to you, boys and girls, male and female. Children are addressed here as children of God. You are called as moral agents to holiness and obedience. Second point is the promise of the fifth commandment. And the third point is that parents must nurture their children in the faith. This is God's word. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is God's holy word for us today. Join me in our prayer of illumination. Our Father, we have heard wonderful things out of thy word. We praise you for revealing Christ as the fulfillment of the Old Testament and ask you to give us your spirit so that we may understand the fullness of your truth. Amen. Please be seated. Well, this is a a short little passage for us to consider today. And our first point is really quite simple. Children must obey in the Lord. There's something very profound here in this simple command, children. God is speaking to you. Maybe you sometimes wonder what you're doing here in this big service of worship. God is giving you a job to do, and it is a very important one. Obey your parents in the Lord. As the fifth commandment says, honor them. In the Lord means two things. First of all, it means you are God's children. You are members of the household of faith. Jesus is your Lord and Savior. He has loved you for all time from before the foundation of the world. And he always will. You answer to him. I don't know about you kids, but sometimes, maybe in the playground or in a store, if you've ever felt separated from your parents. I remember once I was a child, I don't know the details, we were on vacation and I got lost and some stranger picked me up and eventually returned me to... Maybe my parents were trying to get rid of me, I don't know. I can still conjure up in my heart the fear of not knowing where I was vis-a-vis mom and dad. And the reason that we get scared when we're away from our parents is because we know they love us. They know that they will, we know that they will always be there for us. Now, sometimes this natural workings of things breaks down in this world, tragically. But that great love that your parents have for you is a tiny little sign pointing to a much greater love that God has for you. Much greater love. Jesus 
has given you parents as his representatives, as his substitutes. For you school-age children, it's like a substitute teacher in school. And I remember classmates would never do what the substitute said, right? Well, the real teacher's not here. We can do whatever we want. But Jesus has given you these holy substitutes to stand in his place. When you obey them, you are obeying Jesus, the Lord who loves you. And each and every day, you have a chance to manifest your love for God through your parents. You can show them how much you love them, how grateful you are to God and to them for what they do for you. And that opportunity comes to you daily in the person of your parents. And Paul, the apostle here, gives you some reasons to do this. It's a very simple reason. For this is right. It's natural. It's what kids should do. Obedience is common. And this advice would not have been uh, uh, foreign or strange to, to anyone else in the Roman or Greek world. It's a part of natural law. It's written on our hearts. When someone brings you into the world, and when your defenseless little infant feeds you and nourishes you and gives everything for your survival, you owe them obedience. It's just right. Now, in the Lord is Christian, and that's not common to all. Not only that, it's commanded. Paul gives us another reason. It's in the Ten Commandments. God told you to do it. Honor your father and your mother. And it's very important that Paul uses the Old Testament law. The gospel frees us from the law. Christ is the end of the law in terms of justifying us before God. But Paul can still use the law to show us how to show our gratitude to God for his saving work. Now this is a special commandment. Paul says it's not only a part of God's law... But it's uniquely a part of God's law. The command has a promise. It will go well with you. And you will live long. It's the first commandment. It's number five. The first commandment in the second table. It's the head of the second table. It's the only commandment in the second table that is positive. Thou shalt. You shall. Not you shall not. It's positive. Now, don't worry, children. You get a little bit of relief today. Your parents have a job to do as well. And uh, their job's pretty tough. They need to love you. They need to love you in a kind way. They need to be God to you and care for you. And they shouldn't provoke you to anger. They should help you to obey them. They should make obedience natural and easy for you. They should love you so much that it's easy to obey them. That it's desirable that you want to. And I know from personal experience that's not always the case. Both because of the sin in your hearts and the sin in your parents' hearts. And they should also, Paul says, discipline and instruct you in the things of God. Now adults, you single folks who aren't parents and aren't young children... You don't get off scot-free today either. There are adult children. In fact, the last I checked, in one sense or another, every adult is still a child of a parent, whether those parents are living or dead. Childhood is a universal calling. Children is a relation, not an age. And in fact, the New Testament period in which we're... uh, Talking, which Paul wrote these words, adult children absolutely had duties to obey their parents. 
We've been talking about husbands and wives and Roman marriage law actually said that the wife had to submit to her father after the marriage until a future time at which that was potentially relieved. We are all children of our earthly parents and that relationship endures beyond the time when we're living under our parents' roof. We are all children of those also, in a more metaphorical sense, who have gone before us, the fathers of the faith. There is, as well, a broader cultural application here. I'm not going to focus on that, but our catechism does in talking about the fifth commandment. The fifth commandment teaches us to honor those whom God has put in authority over us. And the parent is the first and the most natural authority that each of us are to submit ourselves to in obedience and honor as we are born into a household. And yet, there are other authority members as we move on in civil society. We live in a culture that celebrates generational rebellion and the rejection of your forefathers. This isn't your father's Buick. Those words, Buick, father, might fall on deaf ears here, but it's an ad campaign, right? We have a new Buick for for you, not like your dad's Buick. It's a kind of car. We live in an age of the church where it is assumed that for churches to grow and be faithful, we must reject the worship and the ways of those who have gone before us. That is not how we honor our parents or our fathers and mothers in the faith. And there is, of course, and more fundamentally, brothers and sisters, a more universal calling. We are all children of God. John, the apostle in his letters, addresses the church again and again as my little children. Jesus self-identifies as a son. He is a child of God. And we are God's children because he has become one of us and made us his brothers and sisters in the household of God. And there is a common expression, children, sons of men, the human race are the seed of Adam, his offspring. So I want to return to this point that, that this is right. The ancient world taught the necessity of children to obey their parents. There is a a certain propriety and orderliness here. It is a proverbial truth. You owe your parents everything. They brought you forth. By definition, they are older than you. They should be wiser than you. Not always true, but usually they are. Listen to them. Learn from them. And indeed, from beginning to end, the book of Proverbs presents wisdom as a lesson from a father to a son. A child listening to his father. But as I said earlier, this this proverbial universal natural law sense of children obeying their parents doesn't get to us to the point of, of what does it mean to do this in the Lord? In the Lord is not universal. Not all children are given this gift of instruction and realization that their parents are God's appointed representatives. And so, therefore, we could say that the one who abandons their parents, who rejects their parents, is a tantamount to an idolater. He's rejecting God's will for his life. And that's why we see the severity we see in Leviticus 20. Up there with offering your children in sacrifice to Molech. Up there with idolatry is the sin of rebellion against your parents. It is a societal disease that will destroy the church and the world. But the positive, the positive aspect of obeying in the Lord is far more powerful 
What a precious truth and a clear guarantee and sign that our children are members of God's covenant people. Baptized children are church members. We make a distinction between voting and non-voting members. They don't have to vote in our congregational meeting. We make a distinction between communing and non-communing members. That has to do with the character and the nature of the Lord's Supper. But when they profess faith, they aren't becoming members of the church. They are always members of the church. Note the gospel instruction here. Jesus, in John's gospel, calls God his father. And he does it in in all the gospels, but in John's gospel, it's really front and center. And he tells us that he came to do the will of his heavenly father. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Children, Jesus was an obedient child of his heavenly father. He's an obedient son from the moment of his conception. Now, we, we find this wonderful story, and this is Christmas time, so you might hear this story at Christmas time. And I'll read it so we can familiar, familiarize ourselves to it. I think it's very important in many ways from Luke chapter 2. Now, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, we might have a few 12-year-old-ish children here, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus, I love that, how Luke says, Jesus was a boy. The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. Uh Uh-oh. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. You know, sometimes that happens at church. Well, you know, where's so-and-so? Oh, they're watching him. (laughs) But I thought you were watching him. They began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. Now they're really scared. After three days, can you imagine? Three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, Jesus was Mary's son. Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I, again, emphasizing the relationship, have been searching for you in great distress. They were scared. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know I must be in my father's house? You see there how Luke is pointing out children that Jesus was not like you. (laughs) He had a special relationship with his heavenly father as the son of God and an earthly father. And so there's a bit of a tension here. And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. He's like, well, what are you talking about? Jews would have generally referred to God as Father, but not very often before Jesus came. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth. And Luke tells us he was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature 
and in favor with God and man. And so remember that these instructions for children and their parents are in a part of Paul's letter to the church of Ephesus about how we can all be filled by the spirit of God and united into the body of Christ. And that spirit filling takes place as we submit to one another. He tells us submit to one another as you submit to Christ in the Lord. And so in that submission, we see the submission between wives and their husbands and wives and husbands both playing the role of faithful, obedient, submissive, loving Christ. And then he moves on to children and parents. So he's looking at this natural relationship, which has a father, a parent over in charge of a child underneath. And he says, there's a Christian way to do this. There's a gospel way to do this. Jesus was a child. He lost track of time. (laughs) You ever lose track of time? Kids? He missed the bus. He had to grow in wisdom. This wasn't sinful. He never sinned. But sometimes, he might have been a little absent-minded. The son of God. He was a child also of his father in heaven. And the reason he got lost was because he was serving his heavenly father. He seemed surprised that his parents didn't know he would be there. Again, he has to grow and mature in how to love and honor them well. His parents felt mistreated. Why have you treated us so? But Jesus was submissive to his parents, Luke tells us. This was a misunderstanding and a confusion. He increased in favor. He had to be perfected through his obedience. Jesus learned obedience as a human son of parents, mother and father. And brothers and sisters, for us sinners, children, for us, obedience to your parents is habitual. You can form bad habits and good habits. It's like anything else you want to be good at. You better practice it. Practice, perfect practice makes perfect. So practice when your parents speak. Stopping that other thing you're doing. Looking them in their eyes. Listening to them. And doing what they say. Jesus says later, For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. As you grow up into adulthood, there is... The opportunity, the potentiality that your parents will lead you astray, even as children. All authorities, all human sinful fallen authorities over us can err. And they do from time to time. And as we grow up in maturity, we will have to weigh, what does it mean to follow God, my heavenly father? And what does it mean to follow this authority here on earth? Jesus is not teaching, nor the Lord in the Old Testament, blind obedience to all authority. But he does say, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, whoa, and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life. Okay, now it makes sense where he's going, right? We're not called to hate our own lives. We're not called to hate ourselves or our families or these loving structures of authority that God sets us within. But Jesus says, if we don't despise all these things as second to our obedience to him, We can't be his disciples. Following Jesus, who loves us, is the first and ultimate directive and command. And even marriage, which we've just been talking about, 
Even marriage involves leaving our parents, cleaving to our spouse. So the husband now, who's a son and a husband, is called to love his wife as his own flesh. And that changes how he loves his parents. Yes, it does. We leave our father and our mother, yet we still honor them. So that's the commandment here. Big. Touches all of us, right? Young, old, all of us are called to obey and honor our parents and our Heavenly Father. But then Paul, in quoting the Old Testament, says, Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Uh, The first command of the second table, it's heading. Uh, It's the only affirmative command, as we've said. And it's the only command with a clear promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Notice that Paul views the Old Testament as a sure guide to Christian living. But he does not apply the Old Testament law without adapting it and applying it to the New Testament context. Um, The text of Exodus and a little bit Deuteronomy, although it shifts a little bit is clearly talking about living long in the land of promise, living long in Canaan, in the land the Lord your God is giving you. But this text is also talking about long life in general, that it may go well with you. So Deuteronomy 5 kind of broadens this principle of living long in the land of promise and living great long days. It's important for us to realize the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament. That land of promise was a type and shadow, Hebrews chapter 4 tells us, of our eternal heavenly rest. And so living long in the land is for us New Testament saints fulfilled in living long eternally in glory. Paul has in view here this eternal blessing. But he also has in view... The shadowy reality, the thing we experience here, long life. This is a wisdom command. We see it all over in Proverbs, right? And if you learn to obey and work in structures of God-given authority, your life on earth, this life will be blessed. John Calvin, in his sermon, says, This shows us, this promise of a long life here on earth, shows us that God cares about this world. He cares about our life here. Just because we have a heavenly inheritance stored up for us does not mean that this world is useless. The land of Canaan was the earthly inheritance and Ephesians now speaks of a greater inheritance that the Lord has stored up for all of us. So the long life promised to those who obey this command is long days here on earth. There's another way, of course, in which the fifth command could promise long life for those who followed it. And we read it in Leviticus 29. If you strongly violated this commandment, you would die. (laughs) That's a short life. So you want to live long? Obey your parents. This is not a matter of rewards for good works. It is a matter that the way God opens for us of loving him and loving neighbor in his law is the way of blessedness in this world. Now, it is in point of fact the case that some supremely obedient children die young. And some disobedient children live a long, long time. This is not a one-to-one rule or guarantee. This is a principle of living well. Third and finally, Paul transforms 
the common relationship between children and their parents. And he speaks here to the church in Ephesus, a radical word that would have been transformative in their world and culture. He does this, first of all, and I've already mentioned this, by addressing children. He addresses little girls, minor children. They're moral agents. They answer to God. In the first century, when this letter was written, uh, they would have been viewed as property. Really no better than slaves. So children, listen to God. As you learn, read your Bible. Read them with your parents. Read these words. But second, he transforms this command by constraining fathers and mothers by implication. Right? The fifth commandment is honor your father and mother. And so Paul's using shorthand when he talks about fathers here. Because fathers and mothers are both in view. He calls on them not to provoke and to bring them up, to nourish in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In using the word nourish here, he's using the same word that he's just used with husbands and their wives. It's a word of the household. You are to feed and provide for them. Give them the nutrients they need. Both the obedience and the discipline that parents reflect to their children are always, from the parent's standpoint, to be oriented to the Lord who is their master in heaven. Roman fathers had more power over their children than slaves. Paul is saying that that power is given by nature and by God to a much higher purpose and end. Whether or not you provoked your children to anger didn't matter at all. But here it does. In the eyes of God's law, the father is not to anger your child. Colossians in this command says, do not discourage them. Parents, each and every one of us, I know, well, forget that. I know that I have lost my temper with my children. I know that I have discouraged my daughter. I know that I have angered her. And those are sins against God. As much or probably greater than any sin my daughter could ever commit against my authority. Because I am standing in the place of God. I am a minister to that child. And just as Paul commends the husband to imitate Christ, moms and dads were called to imitate Christ, to love our children in this way. We all know there is a crisis in our land of fatherlessness. And it is our duty and obligation not to change the world or the culture because we don't do that. We, can't, we don't have that power. But to change our own homes. To be loving mothers and fathers. Let me close here with a focus on the gospel and Jesus Christ as the faithful son. In 1 John chapter 3, he writes, See what kind of love the father has given to us. That we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. The obedience of the eternal Son of God started when he agreed to become flesh and to become a son of the Virgin Mary. Being born of a woman, a perfectly sinless human child for us. And Jesus obeyed on your behalf 
That means he did your homework for you. He completed the assignment. He got straight A's. He did your chores. He polished the silver. He picked up his room. And he could offer up perfect obedience to his father. Which is always the only offering that God cared about. Heart, love, obedience. God never wanted the blood of goats and bulls. And that was just shed to show how sinful we are and how holy he is. All God ever wanted from the moment of creation was obedient, loving children. And in Jesus Christ, the second Adam, he got one. And in Jesus Christ, as we trust in him, we are perfectly obedient as well. And our sins, the sins of every baptized child and adult in this church are washed away. Praise God. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we know our sin. It rises up before us every day. And we know that you are a holy God. We thank you that you have given us this relationship between moms and dads and their children as a part of nature that points beyond nature to supernatural things and the relationship we have with our Heavenly Father. Help us cast off the old man, sin no more, and obey you as is proper. Help us through your Spirit to walk faithfully along the path you have set before us. And help us be filled with this Spirit so that we might be a united and loving church. In the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.